And we are live. What's up, guys? Welcome to Fed It. Today, we're going to be covering David Parker Ray, aka the Toy Box Killer. You guys have been asking for this one for a minute. Let's get into it. This dude is crazy. I was a special agent with Homeland Security Investigations, okay, guys? HSI. The cases that I did mostly were human smuggling and drug trafficking. No one else has these documents, by the way. Here's what Fed It covers Dr. Lafredo confirmed. Lacerations due to stepping on glass. Murder investigation. You see him reaching in his jacket. You don't know. And he's positioning. Been on February 13, 2019. You are facing two counts of premeditated murder. Racketeering and Rico conspiracy. Young, young slime life here and after referred to as YSL. The defendants are 6 9 And then this is Billy Seiko right here. Now, when they first started, guys, 6 9 ran. I'm a fed. I'm watching this music video. You know, I'm bobbing my head like, hey, this shit lit. But at the same time, I'm pausing. Oh, wait, who this? Right? Oh, who's that in the back? Firearms and violent crimes. AKA, Pusha I see violated. In order to stay away from the victim. Rapper Pusha I see arrested after shooting at King of Diamonds, Miami Strip Club, injured one this person. Is the, this is the one that, that's going to fuck him up because this gun is not crazy. Well, it happened at the gun range. Here's your boy, 42 Doug, right here on the left. Okay. Sex trafficking and sex crimes. They can effectively link him to paying an underage girl. I'm going to look my trip Right. And well, the first bomb went off right here. Suspect two sent down a backpack at the site of the second explosion. Inspired by Al-Qaeda. Two terrorists, brothers, the Zokar Sarnev and Tamer Lynn Sarnev. When the cartel shipped drugs into the country. As this guy got arrested for um, espionage, okay, trading secrets with the Russians for monetary compensation. The largest corrupt police bust in New Orleans history. The days of the police are gone. gone. So he was in this bad boy. We're going to go over his past, the gang ties, so that this all makes sense. All right, we are back. What's up, guys? Welcome to Fed It, man. Today we got a big one. You guys have been requesting this one for a very long time. Uh, David Parker Ray, a.k.a. the Toy Box Killer. So without further ado, I'm going to go ahead and share screen for y'all. Let's get right into this thing because we got a decent amount to cover here. Um, so as y'all can see, okay, Dave Parker Ray, um, born November 6, 1939, died May 28, 2002, also known as the Toy Box Killer, was American kidnapper, torturer, serial rapist, and suspected serial killer. Though no bodies were found, Ray was accused by his accomplices of killing several women and was suspected by the new, uh, by the police to have murdered as many as 60 women from Arizona and New Mexico while living in Elephant Butte, approximately seven miles north of truth or consequences, which yes, guys, that is a real town out there in New Mexico. Don't ask me how they came up with that name. Okay. Um, Ray soundproofed a semi-trailer, which he called his toy box and equipped it with items used for sexual torture. He would kidnap between five and six women a year, holding each of them captive for around three to four months. During this period, he would sexually abuse victims, sometimes involving his dog or his wife who participated willingly in her husband's crimes and often tortured them with surgical instruments. Then Ray would drug them with barbiturates in an attempt to erase their memories of what had happened before abandoning them by the side of the road. Guys, this dude was on some real evil time here, man. So we're going to get into a documentary that I have here on uh, David Parker Ray. And basically it describes who the guy is, how he got caught. And we're going to walk through this and we're going to pause it as needed so I can give you guys my professional background, uh, I guess, commentary, right, as a former Fed. And uh, yeah, let's get right into it, man. Oh, hold on. Let me turn the volume up real quick. My bad, guys. Oh, 
On the 22nd of March 1999, a terrified woman ran through the streets of New Mexico, naked. She'd escaped after being held captive by sadistic sexual torturer David Parker Ray. She wasn't his only victim. I was scared. I didn't know if he was going to kill me or not. He could get a woman in virtually any position. She was his sex slave. More than 30 women had passed through Parker Ray's torture chamber. The police suspected that many of them had been murdered. I've never had any question that David Parker Ray uh, is a serial killer. The police launched a vast... This is the only serial killer, guys, that is suspected that no one really was able to tie to a body. Um, but, you know, from... The FBI, a bunch of different law enforcement agencies that investigated this guy and his co-defendants, it was very apparent that he killed a, a bunch of his victims. But you guys are going to see how he was able to avoid detection for so long and how they never were able to pin any bodies on him, which is kind of miraculous that he's labeled as a serial killer when no one was actually able to attribute bodies to him. Search for bodies, but Parker Ray was always one step ahead. David was a very intelligent individual and took great lengths to make sure that he was not discovered. Could one of America's most prolific serial killers get away with murder? New Mexico, a barren land with the second highest murder rate in America. Cut off from the world by 40,000 square miles of desert, Truth or Consequences is a town where people go about their business and few questions are asked. Just to give you guys like a general um, idea of what it's like to live um, in the southwest border of the United States, because as you guys know, I spent a significant amount of time um, in Laredo, Texas, right, when I was an agent. So the southwest border, guys, is unlike any other place in the United States. Um, there's a very... It's a small town vibe. Most of the people are locals, have never left. Um, you're right there next to the Mexican border. There's typically always some kind of strong Mexican culture and or connection in these types of towns. And um, it's not what you're typically used to and accustomed to in a large city, even a medium-sized city uh, anywhere else in the United States. So it's really difficult to describe it. But if you ever have spent time or you came from anywhere on the southwest border, you know exactly what I'm talking about. So that is another element as to how this guy was able to do this for so long without getting caught. Population 6,000 and falling. Truth of Consequences has kind of an undercurrent of criminal activity. We investigated a murder where a guy was stabbed 43 times. We had another murder where a guy beat his wife and put her in the trunk of the car, and burned her in the car. Then there was a man found dead in his apartment. He had um, blue panties on and no other clothes. Uh, he had a doorknob inserted in his rectum. This is just a community where strange and bizarre crimes occur. On the 22nd of March, 1999, the police received a call that would open a case far more shocking than anything they'd seen before. All right, this is where stuff is about to get crazy, guys. 
911. The call came from a panicked local after 21-year-old Cynthia Verheel burst into her house. She was naked except for a metal dog collar attached to a six-foot chain. This woman is the main reason that the police were able to uh, find, capture, arrest, and prosecute this guy. So uh, really crazy stuff. And it just so happened to be the luck of the draw. You guys are going to see how she escaped here in a second. Yes, I'm calling for a young lady that ran into the house and says she's just been raped. She's got a chain on her and everything. She didn't tell one right away. This lady's naked and everything else. She said they've been holding her for three days. Now, I want you guys to kind of put yourself, because I don't think you guys understand the gravity of this. Imagine, right, you're down there, right, in, in the southwest border somewhere, not too far from Mexico. I think this area is like maybe two hours from, from Mexico, right? And you're sitting there in your trailer. You know, it's March, probably pretty hot at this point, just chilling. And some chick, naked chick, busts into your place with a dog collar on her neck frantically crying and saying, I've just been raped. I've just been raped. Oh, my God, they're coming after me. Going nuts, right? Not being able to calm down, etc. Just busted. Please don't let them get me, whatever. She was hysterical, guys. So, you know, that 911 call doesn't do the situation justice. That is wild. Like, for her to be in that mind state, to be dressed the way she was, well, in this case, not dressed at all, with a dog collar on her neck, that only speaks to the evil that she witnessed. <laughs> but y'all are about to see right now what she went through. Crazy stuff, man. Some stuff out of a goddamn Saw movie. Let's get back into it. So the officers arrive on the scene. Cynthia V. Hills telling them, don't let them get me. They, they kidnapped me. They uh, tied me up. They raped me. The officers, of course, you know, who just so you guys see that guy's a agent for the uh, New Mexico State Police. Now, different agencies, right? Different state agencies typically will have investigators and they'll call them special agents. Right. Typically, it's not done that way. They're just called a detective, whatever. But some states have like a special bureau, like, for example, like the GBI, right? The Georgia Bureau of Investigation. They have special agents. And that is the state equivalent to the FBI in this case. All right. And the FBI gets involved in this investigation as well, which you guys are going to see here in a second. But uh, just so you guys aren't confused, this is a state law enforcement officer that's giving uh, this interview. Where and all these questions are coming up in their minds. And uh, sometimes it's really difficult to get uh, answers from a frantic person. Cynthia Verheel was a prostitute with a heroin addiction. She said she was abducted by a client and driven to a house on the outskirts of truth or consequences. What's one trend that you guys have noticed as I've been breaking down all of these serial ki uh, killer cases, whether it was Samuel Little, um, uh, who else? I broke down a bunch, you know, the Night Stalker, etc. They typically prey on women uh, that are vulnerable. BTK, uh, the Zodiac Killer, uh, it, this is uh, Ted Bundy. This is what they do. A lot of times, most serial killers and victims are women, but... Uh, a lot of times they're also prostitutes, and I'm going to cover this later on with Gary Ridgway, and uh, as the, AKA the Green River Killer, uh, a lot of serial killers target prostitutes because they're kind of like, this is going to sound harsh, almost a forgotten class of society. You know, they're less likely to have someone report them if they're missing. They're less likely to have people up. The police might not necessarily put it at the top of their 
uh, priority list when it comes to finding a missing per- a missing person that's a prostitute because since uh, the nature of their uh, nature of their work requires them to kind of be transient and all over the place, a lot of police departments, law enforcement agencies don't want to expend a lot of resources going after someone that, quite frankly, they might be alive. They typically travel a lot, and you might not find them in the jurisdiction in which they were originally, cl- you know, uh, claimed missing. So. You know, for, I'm not justifying the fact that law enforcement agencies don't prioritize finding missing prostitutes, but you know, I'd be, how do I say this? I'd be ingenuine to not tell you guys the reality of why law enforcement agencies don't prioritize finding them. And for serial killers, this is a recipe in, uh, in for in heaven basically because you're able to go ahead and do what you want to do to a class of people that aren't necessarily going to have people come looking for them. This is exactly how someone like Samuel Little killed for damn near 30 plus years all over the country and no one cared. Hell, there are serial killers right now to this day, guys, that no one has caught. The Long Island uh, Strangler. uh, There's also a Chicago Strangler. These guys are still out there. And what are their victims? Predominantly prostitutes, guys. So this is a class that these guys are able to kind of, that are vulnerable, that these types of individuals are able to capitalize on. And David Parker Ray was no different. Let's get back into it. As far as when a police officer is called to an incident involving a prostitute, that's always in the officer's mind is, what degree of credibility do I give this lady? Especially if it's a real bizarre story. The house be- And her story was definitely bizarre, as y'all are going to see now. Belong to David Parker Ray, a 59-year-old mechanic. Cynthia said that she was on a bed in a kind of an expanded trailer house. She was naked. Uh, she was handcuffed and she had a, a collar around her neck, w- which was attached to a pole. Uh, she was given a bucket uh, for a toilet. Um, she was sexually assaulted. She was repeatedly sexually assaulted. She was under the impression she was going to be killed. So she was desperate to, to get out. Cynthia Vigil said that she was held in this house for three days. On the third day, Cynthia Vigil said that a fight ensued. A lamp was broken. Cynthia V. Hill then was able to escape out the back door of this residence. Parker Ray was arrested. The police obtained a search. Before, but before, guys, we get into the arrest and what followed, you guys are probably wondering, hold on, Myron, like, how did David Parker Ray even meet this girl? Well, I thought ahead, got y'all. I actually have a phone call that she made uh, I think it might have been like a, one of those remote interviews where she describes how she met him uh, so you guys can kind of understand the gravity of under which this arrest was made so you guys got the full timeline. So this is, in her own words, how she met him. The events that led up to it was I was, I was running from a boyfriend I had at the time. His name was, well, I'm not going to say his name, but I was running from a boyfriend I had. He got really, really clingy with me and... um it. See, this is what happens, guys, when you be clingy. Girlfriend runs away from you and then gets abducted by infamous serial killers. See? That's why you got to have a frame, guys. Okay? Don't forget. Don't simp. <laughs> Continue on. Kind of drove me crazy. And so I was running from him, and I went to uh, a motel off of Central. And the reason why I was running from him is because I'm super independent. And it's hard for me to um, 
to depend on a guy. And so he got really clingy and wanted me just to sit there and look pretty and not do nothing. And so I took off and I went to a motel room and I went to this motel that I wasn't allowed to be at. And <laughs> Translation, guys, she had been caught at this motel more than likely on other occasions with uh, Johns. And that's why they said, yo, you can't come back here. <laughs> she doesn't want to admit that, but that's more than likely what happened. Hotels rarely, you know, decline your business unless you're up to some type of nefarious activities on their property. So I was hiding from them. So when the morning came and I had to be out because they were going to go in to do whatever, you know, clean the rooms and stuff. <laughs> I had to be out. So I snuck out the back window. And when I snuck out the back window through the, into the alley, I guess David Parker Ray had seen me. And I took off walking and he seen this mutual, well, not mutual friend, but he seen this friend of mine that he met that day, I guess, and told that guy, hey, you know, um, I guess he knew my name and I don't know how he knew my name. He asked for me. So Terry came up to me and told me that this guy wanted to do a date. So I went back with him to where the date translation. Um basically solicitation for sex is what this you know and i get it she's trying to you know minimize it a bit and this is typical right because you don't want to sit there and say yo i was gonna prostitute myself but that's what it was it's not a date it's them setting up an arrangement to pay for sex rv was parked and as we were approaching the rv i seen him hand him money through the window and terry took off running he just left and so i got into the rv and i worked a deal for him for a date and I got the money. And Well, we went to the back of the RV before we worked out the deal for the date. And when we got to the back of the RV, he handed me the money and stuff. And I went to go put it in my shoe. And when I was bent over, sitting down, bending over to put the money in my shoe, he pulled out this badge and he like flipped it over and told me I was under arrest. And he put a handcuff on my wrist. Oh, boy. Here we go. Shit's about to get real. And I was like, what the heck? And I was like, what kind of cop are you? Now, what's about to happen next, guys, is probably one of the luckiest slash saddest things that happened. And this, I guess, luck is what got David Parker Ray able to capture this woman. Check this out. The coincidence is wild. I had never seen a badge like that before. It didn't look like any APD badge that I had ever seen. And he said that... By APD, she means Albuquerque Police Department, guys. He was with the state police. And I'm like, well, you know, state cops don't do stings on prostitution. <laughs> the fact that she knows that is a huge red flag. She even busted a few times. <laughs> and so I started fighting with him to get away. And he had one, ha one end of the handcuff and the other one was on my wrist. And I was getting closer to the door. I could feel my fingertips touching the door. She yelled, Cindy. Whoop. So he yelled, Cindy. Watch what happens next. And when he yelled, Cindy, I, like, I was in shock. Because I had given him the name Crystal. But I, little did I know he had said Cindy earlier to that guy. I don't know how he had knew my name or nothing. 
But when I got in the car, I call, I told him my name was something different. And so as I was getting approaching the door, my fingertips were almost touching the door. She yelled, Cindy. And I, it paused me because I was a little bit in shock. And the female came out of behind a curtain in the RV. And, he sh- and she shocked me. She had this big, long, red and white cattle prod. And she stuck it in my neck and just shocked me. And it knocked me at, like to the floor. It knocked me to my knees. So what are the chances that his accomplice has the same name as the prostitute that just lied to him? That, you know, coincidence, right? Ends up giving David Parker Ray the second that he needs, right, of her distraction to get his accomplice to shock her so they can finally take control of her. Talk about luck, man. Or in this case, uh, misfortune for the victim. And as soon as I was weakened by the shock, they got both handcuffs on me and they drug me back and they handcuffed me to a cabinet in the back of the RV. So and then, bam, game over. Now, you guys know how she, how they found her and how they got her um, basically imprisoned. So let's go back to the original documentary. But I wanted you guys to understand the full context as to how she was caught in the first place. And she ended up being there for three days, escapes, etc., as you guys already know. Um, but let's get back into it. This house to investigate the prostitute's allegations. You can see it's a disheveled house. Not too surprising. Watch what they find, guys. Pretty disturbing stuff. Once they go inside the house, they find where Cynthia had been held. Uh, oh, I wonder what that bucket is right there. Pretty disgusting. But guess what, guys? Even though that might be disgusting, it corroborates what? Her testimony. And the thing you guys got to understand when it comes to prostitutes and taking their word for it, Um, unfortunately, you know, Prostitutes typically don't come off as the most credible of victims, right? They do drugs a lot of the times. They lie. There's a lot of random disputes with Johns. So they're not considered credible, credible witnesses. So this surveillance video that they're doing right now, though the character of their potential witness typically isn't of the highest, they're able to corroborate her statements through independently searching the home and seeing what she said was there in front of their own eyes. So what does that do? That builds credibility for an otherwise uh, how do I say this? Not best <laughs> witness, right? It adds credibility to someone that under other pretenses will more than likely not be believed by the court and or a jury of their peers. So this is a huge fine for the police. Let's get back in. In the sunken uh, living room area, they see the bed, they see the pole, but there's some chains and manacles there. There's a bucket with her waist on the floor. There was obvious signs of a struggle and disarray in the room. Obviously, what they saw did not look like the area of somebody who had been kept there voluntarily. The search team also found a collection of sinister sexual devices. Everything that they were seeing did nothing for them except to add evidence and and corroboration to what Cynthia, their victim, was telling them. And bam, just like that, you take a otherwise non-credible witness and immediately make them credible. 
but nothing could prepare them for what they would find inside a simple white trailer at the side of Parker Ray's house. It wasn't really until the utility trailer was open that we really began to get a good understanding of what we were potentially dealing with. Then Pandora's box was opened. Inside footage, guys, look at that. <laughs> oh, this guy <laughs> was not messing around, okay? This dude invested, like, uh, if I'm not mistaken, $100,000 into this toy box, so to speak, right? This trailer that he, you know, moved, uh, kept on his property. So this dude was on some real demon time, and this is all actual real crime scene uh, footage. Saw the gynecologist table right there. In the desert town of truth or consequences, prostitute Cynthia Verheel was recovering in hospital. She had escaped from three days of sexual torture at the hands of David Parker Ray. Parker Ray had been arrested. He was a 59-year-old mechanic and a father of two. Someone state your name for the record, David Ray. David Parker Ray. He claimed that the prostitute had agreed to a session of rough bondage. Yeah, okay, bro. They agreed to all that? Stop the cap. Okay. Was that was she a willing participant? Or yeah. did she not want to do it? She was willing. Okay. At Parker Ray's house, the police were discovering the horrifying truth. And guys, the FBI was all over this. Even though this was a state case, when you get something wild like this, you're gonna need help. The feds are gonna be interested. And, you know, the FBI has a fantastic forensic evidence response team. So I'm not surprised that they're out there assisting because, you know, let's be honest here. You know, the state police probably have a limited amount of personnel that they could send in that area. The local police in that area aren't equipped to handle something like this. So when you have something this extraordinary occurring, typically the feds are going to be called in for some assistance. Even though this was a state investigation and the FBI was lending assistance, stuff like this can't be ignored, even by the feds. But remember, guys, as you, if you guys watch this channel, you already know. Premeditated murder, kidnapping, these types of crime in general typically fall on the state unless there's some kind of interstate nexus and someone was kidnapped and passed state lines, etc. The search team had arrived at a seemingly innocuous white trailer. Look at all the tools, pictures, you know, erotic photography, skulls, like this is crazy. It was pretty. My man got diagrams in different positions. He could put the victims like, dude, crazy. Pretty amazing. It was uh, remarkable. I'd never seen anything like it in my life. The first thing my eyes focused on was this black chair which turned out to be a gynecology chair. Uh, My man was dedicated to the cause. Holy. <laughs> oh, yeah. Just sitting there empty. There was medical equipment and, and everywhere. Drills, modified drills with sexual devices on the them fuck? and cages. I mean, it was just this unbelievable looking den. This was a torture chamber. David Paul. Yo, and he had a sign in there called Satan's Den. Dude, this guy was the real life jigsaw. <laughs> like 
crazy. I wouldn't be surprised if like the creators of Jigsaw like got inspiration for the movie from this guy. And he actually did one other thing that was really sinister that you guys are going to recognize immediately if you're a uh, fan of any of these Saw movies. Ray called the trailer his toy box or Satan's den. To see it the first time just kind of gave you a feeling of sickness and it was just remarkable how everything was set up. Everything in here denoted pain. Everything in here denoted destruction. There were several, several items in there that were obviously meticulously crafted by hand and were very, very sinister. David was known as very adept with his hands, as, a, as an excellent mechanic. By day, Parker Ray worked for the local state park. And this is David's truck right here, his original truck. So a handyman that has these type of crazy fantasies, yeah, well, <laughs> that not, I guess nothing is beyond his imagination. He could create whatever he wanted. This dude was a handyman. He was well respected for his technical ability. To those who knew him, he was not the kind of man who tortured women in his spare time. Ah, he was just a real nice guy. He just, uh, real nice, real smart. He was always eager to, to help these other guys do things, you know, around here. And these are some things that he made. He named them stink catchers. That's a rope through a piece of pipe. It's a pretty creative piece of work he did there. Then he had the ankle spreader. This looks like something. Wait, what? The ankle spreader? What? <laughs> what the fuck? Something that he would have made. Um, and he has it labeled ankle spreader. My man has the labels in there too. Oh, oh no, my bad. Excuse me one second. Could you imagine? <laughs> this dude has a victim in, in the spot and he's like going through his tools, figuring out, okay, how tall is this girl? Eh, she's about five foot 10. Okay. Uh, I got this labeled. Okay. I got the ankle spreader here. This one is for 26 to 41, uh, 41 to 50. Okay, cool. 41 to 50. Bam. Like <laughs> my man has like a whole Rolodex and, organization skills when it comes to having a bunch of torture sexual torture devices you know this speaks to the guy's crazy premeditation and predisposition really and how do i say this commitment to making this happen i mean hell the dude wasn't making that much money guys working for the state as like kind of a handyman he probably wasn't making more than like 30 to 50k at most yet this toy box that he had cost him $100,000 plus. Tell me, if you're spending two, three, four times your annual salary on something, that means you really love that shit. And his creativity with the toys definitely demonstrate that. He could get a woman in virtually any position that he wanted her in. She was his sex slave uh, when they entered this, this trailer. And then he had the dildo fashioned out of, uh, looks like a plastic pipe, actually. These are nails that have been uh, melted into this plastic collar, and this would be inserted in her 
vagina or anal canal. And he would work it and work it until um, he could get it all the way in. And then they would have these spikes here. This guy. It's going to be very painful and rip their inner thighs out. I have to wonder how many people. Insane. No wonder you sick bastards wanted this guy so bad. I didn't even know who this guy was until y'all were messaging me like almost every day. Yo, David Parker Ray, David Parker Ray, the toy box killer. Yo, even Casey, you guys remember him. He, um, my buddy from that lives in Columbia now. Um, I'm actually going to go down and visit him and do fresh fit down there. But he was one of the people that even hit me up saying, bro, you need to do a toy box killer. And after he sent me that message, I was like, you know what? Let me look into this. A bunch of y'all been asking me about this guy. And <laughs> oh, man, y'all didn't disappoint. I'll say that. I'm sure you guys are watching this in the chat right now. Like, what is going on? Uh, came in contact with all this stuff. Parker Ray's terrifying den was evidence of a long campaign of sexual torture. The consensus was pretty clear that there were going to be additional victims here. For example, the utility trailer was taken apart virtually, and we collected trinkets, rings, necklaces, jewelry. They and just to give you guys an idea of what he means by this, if you look at the FBI um, Albuquerque website, right, they have a whole page just on David Parker Ray. And look at all the trinkets they found in the toy box. And to this day, they're still trying to identify victims, guys. Because remember, they never actually found a dead body that they could link to this guy effectively. You know, there were some suspected women that might have been killed by him. But as far as he goes, he was never actually convicted of any murder charges one of his accomplices were which you guys are going to see that in a second but yeah even to this day guys the fbi maintains a page for him on their website uh, to gather information came from somebody despite police appeals for more women to come forward cynthia was still the only known victim but as a prostitute and drug addict she might not be believed in court the police needed more credible witnesses See, so even with the stuff I told you guys before, even though she was corroborated, she's still not that credible. So with a case like this, you want to get as many witnesses as possible. Now, can you build a case around one witness and put someone in jail? Absolutely. But typically, when you're going after someone like this, you don't want to miss. You know, you want to get as many witnesses as you can so you can make sure you put someone like this away for good. Inside the toy box, Parker Ray had set up two video cameras. This is probably when it comes to self-snitching, I guess this guy was on another level. He really thought he was probably never going to get caught. If he's, you know, brazen enough to put cameras in the den. Suspicion was that he had recorded the suffering of his captives. It made sense to believe and was logical to deduce that there were videotapes somewhere. And many, many were found. There were probably a hundred, at least a hundred. Holy. Most of the tapes contain nothing of relevance, but one would prove explosive. It showed Parker Ray testing his equipment. <laughs> Yo, could you imagine? You, you're recording yourself, like, kind of preparing to rob a bank and putting that shit, like, somewhere in your house. Okay. Yo. Break yourself, fool. Eh, not good enough. One more time. Break yourself, fool. Give me the gun. Give me the money right now. 
Mm, I need more emphasis. I mean, how should I do this? Maybe I should put the gun for break yourself, fool. Oh, that's the one. Cool. Got it. All right. Done. Cut it. No more takes. Let's get into it. <laughs> Could you imagine? They find a video of you doing that crap, like practicing and rehearsing after you get caught in a bank robbery and they search your home. This is effectively what's going on with this guy. You know, he's out here testing the equipment. Oh, let me make sure this thing works. Oh, well, you know, I could better organize this stuff. Let's make it alphabetical order. Crazy, man. <laughs> then it cut. And when it came back to life, Parker Ray was with a captive. It's what you see here is the inside of the toy box. You see a youngish blonde haired woman with David strapped down naked. He's standing over top of her or kneeling next to her at all times. He's constantly touching her. And it's obvious that he's trying to get some kind of sexual gratification out of this. She appeared to be unconscious or at least unresponsive to anything he was doing to her. Um, this hasn't had any of the earmarks of a consensual encounter. And as you guys know, he was, you know, notorious for drugging his victims heavily. So they wouldn't be able to remember a lot of times what happened to them. Now it's going to get even crazier. Uh, between two people who just enjoy this kind of behavior. The videotape was crucial evidence of another victim, but who she was, was a mystery. We're looking at this videotape. How the idea is crazy, guys. Pay attention. And, and we need to know who this person is. He moves her leg at one point, and what's exposed on her right calf, on the outside of her right calf, is a tattoo. And you can see it in the video, but it's not clear. And it looks like a pretty, you know, it looked like a pretty big tattoo. So we took this tape to the FBI to have it enhanced. Once the image was enhanced, we provided that to the media. Bingo. Very shortly afterwards, a woman came forward and said, that's my tattoo, uh, that's me. That tattoo I have is unique. Nobody else has it. Kelly Van Cleve was a 25-year-old childminder. She was a friend of Parker Ray's daughter, but had no recollection of ever going to his house, and no idea why the FBI had a picture of her tattoo. So imagine that, guys. You were graped, you know, in the past. You don't even remember it. You don't even know about it. And then you see all of a sudden the FBI puts out a bulletin looking for someone with this tattoo. And you have that same exact tattoo. I could only imagine, like, what was going on in her mind. Like, wait, wait, hold on, what? Uh, I'm a victim? And, like, you know, I'm not a sus suspect? Wait, hold on. Let me go see what's going on here. And then you find out what she's about to find out. Crazy. They told me that it came off of a, a video they found in David's house. Toy box, as they called it. It was weird. And I was scared. Initially, it was clear that she was having difficulty remembering everything that had happened to her in the utility. And just so you guys know, his daughter, Glenda Jean Jesse Ray, um, assisted him in doing this, uh, these crimes. 
you know, and you're going to see here how she was uh, a participant in this particular instance with this witness with the tattoo we're talking about. The sister, the daughter was definitely in on it, guys. <laughs> Crazy stuff. Trailer and in her experience with David. Before the FBI contacted me. And by the way, this is not to be confused, guys, with um, the other girl, Cindy, that was also helping uh, David Parker Ray. So he has two female accomplices helping him in this, you know. So that, I think, is a big reason why he was able to be successful as well, because he had two women helping him lure prostitutes. Obviously, whenever you use a woman, it disarms the girl that you're trying, your, your potential victim, and you're able to go ahead and garner, how to say this, a bit more trust and put them in a more vulnerable position. Ted Bundy infamously used to do this as well. What he would do is he would walk up with a cast and he'd kind of pitch himself as a disabled guy or a hurt guy that, you know, just needs a little bit of help. Hey, can you help me carry my books to my car, blah, blah, blah. The girls will go with him carrying the books. And then, you know, what he would do is he'd have a crowbar and he, when she wasn't looking, he'd smack her upside the head with the crowbar once he got back to the um, car. And then he'd drag her into the, you know, buggy and take off. So this isn't a foreign tactic for a lot of these um, serial killers, right? Because they need to be able to build trust, especially with someone like a woman who's going to be a little bit more apprehensive uh, to get their victims. So everyone has a different method. You know, Ted Bundy Gore cast, this dude used his girl and his daughter. Everyone, a lot of times when they're super prolific, typically has some kind of game that they do to find their victims. I used to have nightmares of being tied to a table or handcuffs or duct tape scared me but I could never put any of it together. And then when the FBI called, then I knew they weren't just dreams. Imagine that, having nightmares and not being able to explain why until the FBI calls you. <laughs> oh my God. Nightmares, they were real. Kelly was struggling to remember the details of what Parker Ray had done to her, but the police had made a chilling discovery in Parker Ray's house which would explain everything. A tape recording in his own voice that he played to initiate his victims. Hello there, bitch. I'm going to tell you in detail why you have been kidnapped, what's going to happen to you. This was sinister stuff. Bro, hold on. Did y'all catch that? My man had a pre-recorded message for the girls ready to go as soon as they woke up after being drugged and what you heard by the way guys i'm going to rewind it for you guys so you get a better you hear that again that's actually his voice <laughs> literally opens up hey there bitch wild well, i'm gonna rewind that just so y'all could catch that again kelly was struggling to remember the details of what parker ray had done to her but the police had made a chilling discovery in Parker Ray's house, which would explain everything. A tape recording in his own voice that he played to initiate his victims. And guys, the scary part is this thing was recorded in the early 90s. If I'm not mistaken, this was recorded somewhere between 1991 and 1993 when I was doing my initial research on this case. Uh, so forgive me if I'm wrong. It might be hazy. I've been researching this thing for about two weeks now. And um, <laughs> yo, the fact that he had a cassette ready to go, you know, just to kind of save himself time, kind of speaks volumes as to how many people he potentially actually had against their will. Um, yeah, I, I would not be surprised if the people that created Saw, like the producers of Saw, 
weren't inspired by this guy. Because as you guys know, if you watch any of the Saw movies, same MO. You wake up all of a sudden, like not knowing what the hell's going on. Next thing you know, you hear that voice. I want to play a game, you know? So I would not be surprised if they didn't get some of that inspiration for that movie from this fucking dude. Hello there, bitch. I'm going to tell you in detail why you have been kidnapped, what's going to happen to you. This was sinister. <laughs> Hello there, bi- bitch. <laughs> like, yo. Bumblecut. Stuff. Now, you are obviously here against your will. You're going to be kept chained. Talk about self-snitching. <laughs> Stupid. Stupid. In a variety of different positions, usually with your legs or knees forced wide apart. You'll be raped thoroughly. And 36 to 41 inches, guys. Remember, he has that ankle spreader tool. <laughs> repeatedly in every hole you've got. <laughs> Midway through, the tape revealed that Kelly's memory loss may have been no accident. You're going to be drugged up real heavy with a combination of sodium pentothal and phenobarbital. You're- okay, let's just self-sense some more. While you're at it, you know what, uh, Dave? Just give me your social while you're at it, bro. You know, we're here already. You know, you gave us a pretty good concoction for that, but just give us a social. It is what it is. <laughs> Talk about stupid criminals, but this goes to show how cocky he was that he would never get caught. My man recorded a cassette <laughs> tape self-snitching and telling the girls what happens to them, what's going to happen to them, and what they should expect. <laughs> Unbelievable. You're not going to remember a fucking thing about this little adventure or what has happened to you. Sodium pentothal and phenobarbital numb pain and induce amnesia. It seems... I, I love how he actually told them specifically what he was giving them as if, like, some hooker from Albuquerque is going to know what the hell that is. Oh, my God, I know what that is. I remember that from chemistry class when I was in, you know, high school. Or, oh, I remember this when I was in Harvard taking, you know, advanced chemistry. Like, bruh, <laughs> the amount of detail that he's going into <laughs> is ridiculous because the class of people he's more than likely kidnapping would never know what the hell it is anyway. And Parker Ray was using drugs to control his victims and ensure they would not remember his crimes. Maybe it explains some of the things that were done to me. Being tied down and how uncomfortable you're going to feel and being used as a sex slave. Oh, and by the way, this recording, guys, is like some, if I'm not mistaken, somewhere between like 30 to 40 minutes long. <laughs> like, it's not like it's uh five minutes and hey welcome to the toy box like no he goes into excruciating detail of what's going to happen it's like a damn near 40 minute uh excerpt matter of fact i'll show y'all i'll pull it up here so you guys can see it on the side parker ray released kelly three days after taking her captive confident that she would never remember her ordeal but as the police questioned her memories started to surface over time, she was able to piece together elements. Of- so here you guys go. This is the uh, like the full video. As you guys can see, it's 40, about 45 minutes, 44 minutes and 16 seconds. Occasionally, if we want to take the time and trouble, even under these done, both will be used. For my part, I like getting off. So there you go. You guys get the idea. But man. The captivity in the toy box. I didn't know how long I had been there. I could see under the duct tape once in a while. 
had all kinds of sex devices and whips and chains and stuff. I remember him coming and going several times, but I don't know how many times. When he was in there, he was in there for a long time. I was scared. I remember telling him that I wanted to go home. I didn't know if he was going to kill me or not. I don't ever remember drinking or eating anything. He um, let me up to use a porta pot once, but I was shackled to do that. I remember him using different kinds of toys on me. And they hurt. Yeah, you can see the pain in her eyes, man. <sighs> Craziness, man. That's about all I remember. The police, his daughter, set this girl up. Now had a credible witness, but not necessarily one who could get Parker Ray behind bars. Potential weakness that she had, she didn't remember certain things. She didn't have a clear recollection of others. And that weakens the case and the overall picture that the jury is going to be given of exactly what David was up to. So this was the guy that prosecuted um, Parker Ray, and even for him, you know, he had Cynthia first. Now he's got this girl. But, you know, her joggy memory can be problematic, man. So, you know, when you're prosecuting a case in a court of law where you got to win beyond a reasonable doubt, stuff like this can come and, you know, give the defense that reasonable doubt that they need. Remember, guys, whenever you bring a defendant into court, it's on the state to prove he's guilty. The defense don't got to do anything. They just got to respond and rebut. So their job is to create reasonable doubt. The prosecution's job is to prove it beyond a reasonable doubt. You. The prosecution needed more, and by Parker A's own admission, there were many more victims to find. In his tape recordings, he indicated that he had been involved in sexual assault since he was 15. David was a... <laughs> Self-snitching, once again. Stupid! ...arrested when he was 59. So he has approximately 44 years of practice. As of the time this tape was made, I've taken 37 women for these purposes. Hell, maybe more by now. Bumbucker! so many victims unaccounted for, there was a fear that Parker Ray was more than a sadistic torturer. He could be a prolific serial killer. You are expendable. It may sound harsh and cold, but I won't have any qualms at all about slicing your throat. If you believe what the tape is true, that he rapes and tortures women, there's no reason not to believe the other parts about killing women and disposing of their bodies is also true. Death was a constantly resurfacing uh, idea from David, not from us, but from David in his writings and his drawings and his tapes. Everything revolved around death. Now you can see why the FBI is so certain that this guy was a serial killer and why to this day, even though they weren't able to prove any bodies, you know, explicitly to him beyond a reasonable doubt. This is why the FBI feels so strongly that this guy was a serial killer. And many law enforcement, because there's honestly no other recourse from once you kidnap and, you know, 
do this type of stuff to them. I think this girl only got spared one of the few because she was one of his daughter's friends. You know, and that might actually come back to bite him because she was too close to home. But I guarantee if she was some random whatever, probably one that lived. I've never had any question that David Parker Ray uh, is a serial killer. There's never been a doubt in my mind about it. Whether the case was going to be a murder trial would depend on whether we could link David to the actual killing of victims. If Parker Ray was a serial killer, he lived in the perfect place to hide the bodies. All right, this is pretty insane, guys. Listen up here. They're going to explain all the advantages that, you know, Parker Ray had to evade capture for so long. It's actually kind of like a match in, a match in paradise for serial killers. His house was on the shores of Elephant Butte Lake. At 43 miles long and 200 feet deep, it's the largest body of water in New Mexico. There was a map that we recovered in David Parker Ray's house that was just a map of the lake with X's on it. David had a sailboat, a large skiff sailing boat with depth finding equipment. A map with an X on in the, you know, lake? You know, depth finding equipment? And he knew that lake very, very well. And he knew where the deepest places in that lake were. I was hoping that we were going to have a body. I was praying that we were going to have a body. There were overall like between two and three full dive missions that were performed there without being able to locate uh, any evidence that we could connect definitively to the Parker Ray investigation. David had the perfect job if he wants to hide bodies or whatever. He had access to every nook and cranny of Elephant Butte State Park. Also, guys, not to mention that lake um, is very murky. I remember when I was researching this, this is kind of an important point that I wish this documentary highlighted more. That lake is extremely murky, and there's a bunch of um, fish that are kind of like will eat anything. If I'm not mistaken, if it's like catfish or one or piranhas or something like that, but it will make sense that he would dump it in the water and wouldn't have a care in the world because the fish would get to the body before the police would, you know? So that's more than likely why they couldn't find any remains. He had access to areas that are kept under lock and key that keep the public away from, but to which he had access. Another key. Had access to areas that regular people don't. We searched caves, holes in the ground, wells, mines, lakes. We searched everywhere we could possibly think. It was endlessly frustrating. Now you can see how this was the perfect storm brewing in Parker Ray's uh, favor. The case against Parker Ray was weak. The best witness had a patchy memory, and unless bodies could be found, there was a chance that a murderer would walk free. He was an intelligent man and capable of going the extra mile and making an extra effort, especially when it came to this kind of behavior, to do what he needed to do to avoid detection. And I believe that's what he did. But Parker Ray hadn't thought of everything. An extraordinary confession from one of his acquaintances was about to blow the investigation wide open. Oh, this is where there's a turning point. Police believed that victims of David Parker Ray's campaign of sexual torture 
were buried in the New Mexico desert. But no bodies had been discovered and the case against him was on rocky ground. The only known surviving victims were a heroin addicted prostitute and a woman whose memory of her captivity had been scrambled by Parker Ray's cocktail of drugs. Even though there was a good amount of corroboration to go after someone like this with no bodies, I could see why the prosecution was hesitant. You know, you want to put guys like this away forever because think about it, you only get one chance. If you try to prosecute him and he beats it, he walks forever versus you taking a little bit more time to gather more evidence, develop more witnesses, develop more cooperators, and then come at him right from the first get and get him prosecuted. Because remember, guys, double jeopardy is a thing in the United States for all my international people. And this is why OJ still to this day can never be tried for the Nicole Simpson murder and Ron Goldman. You know, when even though he damn near decapitated his wife, which actually broke that down as well, if you guys want to go check it out in the uh, documentary playlist. But Kelly Van Cleve clearly remembered what happened before she was drugged. In July 1996, she was abducted from this once bustling bar on the outskirts of truth or consequences. We rounded up a bunch of friends and went bar hopping. And this is where we ended up. We always ended up here. No matter where we started, this is where we quit. There used to be a little mini bar sitting here. Pool tables right there. And we were playing pool and I had ordered a beer. And I left to take one of my drunk friends home and came back and some of my other friends left. And at the end of the evening, it was just me and Jesse. Jesse Ray, David's daughter. Jesse agreed to give Kelly a lift home, but she drove straight to her father's house. The fact that it was his own daughter kidnapping just shows the depth of his resolve when it came to this behavior and, uh, and also showed his lack of emotional involvement with just about anybody or anything. Crazy. I just remember being on her couch. Her dad's couch. The next thing you know, you triggered my trap card. Fucking David Ray Parker. I mean, sorry, David Parker, Ray, a.k.a. Seto Kaiba walks into the room. <laughs> That's when they held the knife to my throat. I put the dog collar on. We duct tape handcuffs. And I ended up tied to a table. Jesse Ray was arrested for her role in Kelly's abduction. Are you optimistic that you'll be out soon? Yes. Well, I guess, I guess this is how her and her dad spent, you know, daddy-daughter time. This is how they bonded. Kidnapping chicks and torturing them in the fucking toy box. <laughs> Talk about good parenting. Oh, man. Bumbacat! It wasn't the only time she'd taken someone home to meet her father. In July 1997, one year after Kelly's abduction, a friend of hers had gone missing from the same bar. Marie Parker was a 21-year-old mother of two. It was almost midnight. She said she was going to go home and check on her kids. She'd be right back. By the time the bar closed at 2 o'clock, 
she still wasn't there and her car was still there. So, but somebody said Jesse followed Marie out. Marie is one of the unaccounted for victims that people heavily suspect was killed by uh, David Parker Ray. No one has heard from Marie Parker since that night. She had two little girls. There was no way she was going to leave her kids. So I knew something had happened. The similarities between Kelly's abduction and Marie's disappearance seemed unlikely to be coincidence. You ever heard of a woman named Marie Parker? Not really, no. Stop the cap! She's a woman that uh, disappeared about two years ago. Yeah, I just thought I'd ask, you know, I said that off to you, I'd ask if you had any information that you could provide me with that. You know, with Marie Parker, we knew. And just so you guys know, his sister, his uh, not sister, his daughter actually went to the police to report her father's suspicious activity. There was a little bit of a fallout and she ended up kind of getting back on her dad's side and like helping him with the criminal activity. So it's actually insane how at, at first she kind of had a heart for it, but then she kind of changed her mindset and said, you know, I'm just going to support my dad anyway. So... <laughs> Yeah, I guess some, you know, dads and daughters like to go out and have dinner, daddy dinner, uh, daughter, daddy dates. And, you know, which I think is actually really cool. I think that's a good thing. Um, you know, spending time with your daughter, of course, because I think the father to daughter relationship is critical to that woman's overall um, future acceptance of positive masculinity. But in this case, she's like, you know what? Fuck it. My dad wants to kill uh, whores and uh, <laughs> put them in his toy box. So be it. We got a bond. <laughs> so. It shows how much his daughter loved him, even though she originally snitched on him. But regardless, this is some sick stuff. He was involved, but we, we didn't have enough information or evidence to, to pin anything on him. She's the one that disappeared from one of the bars? Yes, sir. I don't think about that. I know of the incident, that's all. You were a part of that, by chance? No, certainly not. On the night Marie disappeared, Jesse Ray had been at the bar with a friend of her father's called Roy Yancey. The police suspected he was an accomplice and brought him in for questioning. His statement was astonishing. Uh, from what I understand is that he's had many years of kidnapping, torturing and killing women. The story that Roy gave was that Marie Parker had, in fact, been a victim of David Parker Ray, that she had been abducted while she was in the toy box. She was systematically tortured over a period of a, a couple of days. Uh, when she wasn't being tortured, she was placed on a cot and slid underneath uh, a part of the the uh, the wall in the toy box that they could shut and lock. Uh, and at the end of all of this, uh, the information that Roy Yancey gave us was that he was instructed to kill Marie Parker by strangulation. How did you come up with the idea to, to kill Marie? Uh, that was David Ray Parker's idea. That's pretty remarkable. It just seemed like it went up to a different level and each level it went up to it became more overwhelming. And then I began to wonder, just, where is it gonna end? I know they ended up giving me a rope and telling me to, to strangle her. And she wasn't dying fast enough. Okay, but you said she wasn't dying fast enough. Was she struggling? Or now, testimony like this guy's typically always ends up problematic because you got one crook snitching on her, another crook typically for some type of leniency. So this type of information is almost always hit with like a grain of salt. But there are some facts in his favor where he might be telling the truth. Obviously, 
the, the daughter was there. We know the daughter's involved in the situation through the other witness that had that tattoo. So even though there's some corroboration, um, a witness like this typically isn't the best. But to get criminals in prison, you have to talk to criminals that are also involved in the life to get the insight. So it's kind of a double-edged sword that police have to deal with when talking with cooperators, witnesses, source of information, etc. Yes, Mr. Trump. We have no doubt that his statement was accurate. His details were such that uh, it's unquestionable that Roy Yancey killed Marie Parker. I was told not to tell anybody anything or I was going to be killed and thrown in the ditch. And who told you that? I did If Roy Yancey could take the police to Marie Parker's body, they'd finally have the evidence to link Parker Ray to murder. Let's see what they find. David and Roy, according to Roy Yancey, took the body out to a remote location in the desert, rolled it down a ravine, covered it up with a little bit of dirt, and then drove back. And Roy was very specific and detailed about the location where this happened. He remembered, he said pretty well where this was. We felt that if we were able to locate this body, it was going to be a domino effect. And, and soon this was going to lead to more and more and more. We spent the better part of a week with Roy Yancey going to several different locations. We had 40 people out looking in these areas. We had helicopters out looking in these areas. And still we, we weren't able to recover a body. And Roy's, I guess, hypothesis, which seems to be credible and makes sense, is that David returned to that location after the body had been disposed of and relocated it. <laughs> well, for all the self-stitching, he made one smart move right there. <laughs> Yet again, David Parker Ray had been meticulous in avoiding detection. We spent a great deal of time chasing an intelligent man who was well-versed in what he was doing. It's interesting how he took such crazy steps to cover his tracks in the outside world, but took none of those, those very steps to protect himself within the confinements of the toy box. Very interesting. And, and certainly able to cover his tracks very effectively. We were always one step behind him. There's thousands upon thousands of deep, narrow ravines, nooks and crannies, and where do you look? We could be standing above her right now. And, and FYI, guys, so them not finding the body actually hurts them. And the reason why, guys, is like when you're doing a criminal case, anything that um, the police that uh, anything that the police find that's exculpatory, meaning it's evidence that can actually be used in the defense's favor, must be turned over. So the fact that they had this witness that's cooperating, and then he tells them, "All right, I know where the body's at." He takes them out there. The bodies aren't there, even though there's a good inc uh, inclination that David Parker Ray moved the bodies. It still hurts that witness's credibility. You know, significantly, by the way, because now the defense can hold on to him and be like, well, listen, you have this witness. He committed the murder, allegedly, but you're telling me he can't even take you to where the body is. So something like this actually hurts the prosecution because they have to turn this over. And it's a tally mark in the W column for the defense. Creates that reasonable doubt that I keep telling you guys about. Never know it. And I often wonder how close did we actually come to to her or some of the victims during the course of this? Roy Yancey pleaded guilty to second-degree murder and was sentenced to 20 years. But David Parker Ray maintained his innocence, and without Marie Parker's body, murder charges could not be brought against him. It's extremely frustrating to know that he's 
committed murders and yet not have sufficient evidence to bring this matter to a resolution in a court of law. But the fact that we couldn't prosecute him for murder made it all the more important that we successfully prosecute him for the rape, tortures, and kidnappings that we could prove in court that he did. So now you guys know, you can see why the prosecution was so careful to not indict and prosecute this thing until they felt that they can 100% convict them because you don't want someone like this to beat the case and be on the loose forever. So, you know, I applaud the prosecution for taking their time, though it kind of sucks because other victims can be caught um, to make this thing is like nice and tight and they can maximize it. The trial of David Parker Ray began on the 29th of June, 2000. His fate now lay entirely in the hands of Kelly Van Cleve. Despite her patchy memory, she would have to convince a jury that he had kidnapped and sexually tortured her. I didn't want to go to court. I didn't want to have to go face him. But I did it. He couldn't. Hey, chat, what do you guys think the verdict is going to be from this trial? Start, start putting in the chat right now what you guys think is going to be the outcome here. Be out on the streets any longer. I had to do it. Because I had to do what I could. Guilty or not guilty? But to save other women. As Kelly took the stand, Parker. Look at him. He has such an innocent looking demeanor. You know, he could, he could pass as anybody's grandpa, man. Let alone, you know, you find out that this dude is responsible for a $100,000 trailer playing cassette tapes 10 years old to torture his victims and has damn near every tool he needs to. Uh, torture women sexually. Crazy world we're in. This guy reminds me kind of like Ted Bunny. Ted Bunny was the same way. He looked really cool and normal, law student, well-spoken, etc. You know, no one's like, did this guy really do it? So, a lot of times these serial killers look just like average regular people, man. Ray was just feet away. It was the first time she'd seen him since her captivity. He was just sitting there with a smug look on his face. And it pissed me off. He acted like he was totally innocent and he had done nothing wrong. I didn't want to cry and let him know how much he hurt me. I didn't want to be his victim. That was difficult. Kelly explained what she could of her ordeal in the toy box. But under cross-examination, she was attacked rigorously. I remember, guys, cross-examination is when the opposite side asks you questions. So she's the prosecution's witness. She's kind of given her testimony. Then the defense comes in and starts confronting her on all kinds of things. You know, and remember, it's the defense's job to create a little bit of reasonable doubt. So a lot of times what defense attorneys will do will kind of come in, ask you questions that not necessarily always all the way pertinent, but it'll hurt you. I'll give you an example. It's not uncommon for a defense attorney to get you on a stand and be like, is it not true that you've lied on several occasions in your life? Uh, well, I guess, you know, I might have lied to my parents about a party one time or whatever. But no, no, that's not, have you lied? And then, you know, yes or no. And you're like, uh, yes. And they do that on purpose because all the jury can hear is like, have you lied before? And you're saying yes to it. Even though the context isn't necessarily there, the fact that you said yes to a lie sticks in the head of the jurors, right? 
So that's a defense tactic to kind of attack your credibility without necessarily hurting your credibility, if that makes sense. You guys get what I'm saying? Because everyone's lied before, but they frame it in a way where you're evil if you've lied ever, right? So that's the defense job, man. Smoke and mirrors, deflect, 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 create reasonable doubt, bam. The defense point of view has to be in this case that she's not a credible witness and therefore should not be believed because she couldn't remember what happened. You sit up there on the stand and wonder, are these guys going to believe me? David's story was that she came over quite willingly, that they had some beers, and that uh, she had consensual sex, uh, that the the sex became kinkier as she stayed longer, and that uh, he uh, cleaned her up and sent her home at the end of it. Just lies. I think he did it more to protect himself since she was so close to his daughter and there was no there was no way in a small town like that that they wouldn't have been able to trace it back to his daughter since they were friends i think that and several witnesses saw them leave together that's another thing why i don't think park ray killed this particular woman that was the most difficult part was all the lies that they said i could have faced david without the lies People often do things that they can't live with. And so they have to change the way they feel about what happened or the way they report what happened or the way they feel about themselves to account for that behavior. The defense's claims that Kelly had consented to be in the toy box were contradicted by Parker Ray himself on the initiation tape that he played his victims. Told you that tape will come back to haunt him, man. <laughs> you are obviously here against your will. You'll be raped thoroughly and repeatedly in every hole you've got. But there was a problem. Talk about self-snitching. Bumbacut! Problem. Kelly could not remember if Parker Ray had played the tape to her, so the judge ruled it was not relevant. The judge. Ah, man. Talk about <laughs> L. Judge. Jury was not allowed to hear it. The suppression of the audio tape weakened our case because they were not able to hear David's actual planning, preparation, and his own voice. They're going to be kept like an animal. As far as I'm concerned, you're a pretty piece of meat. Your pussy and asshole is going to get a real workout. This was essentially a confession. This guy, bro. <laughs> Demon time. The prosecution did have one more weapon to draw on. The video footage of Parker Ray torturing Kelly in the toy box. When you look at the tape, you see that there's no evidence of injury because he's not beating her. He's touching her gently. He caresses her breasts. He lightly rubs her stomach. He uh, lightly rubs her arms. She was able to sit there and loosen up her joints and the, the way you would if you'd done something strenuous. And uh, that was our interpretation of the tape. I knew the defense was going to try to turn <laughs> everything guy. around on me. Master deflector. But I didn't think that with the tape, I figured everybody would know 
everybody could see I wasn't there willingly. Yeah, well, common sense isn't so common, man. Almost 50% of the U.S. population reads below a sixth grade level, man. <sighs> Crazy stuff. After a two-week trial, the jury retired to consider whether Kelly's testimony was enough to lock up Parker Ray for life. Kelly's the one who... Let's see what the verdict is, guys. You can vote earlier. Let's see. The jury has to believe in order for them to return a guilty verdict. I didn't think there was going to be any way that a jury would come back with a not guilty verdict in this. When they finally made a decision and everybody got back to the courtroom, I knew it was going to be a guilty verdict. It had to have been a guilty verdict. They fooled me. The judge required a unanimous decision, and on July the 13th, 2000, the jury announced their verdict. Some jurors did not believe Kelly's testimony, so Parker Ray could not be convicted. It was a hung jury. So what's uh, next from here? Are you guys are going to see. When they came back with a hung jury verdict, I about fainted. Literally. I didn't understand it. The decision was made to retry the case, this time with a different jury and a different judge. I didn't want to go through court again. But I had to. He was not going to hurt anybody else. Nine months after the first trial ended, the retrial got underway. In a boost to the prosecution, the new judge decided that Parker Ray's initiation tape was relevant. And keep in mind, guys, that double jeopardy only comes into play if you are found innocent, not necessarily if the, um, there was a mistrial. ...to the case and allowed it to be heard. Parker Ray's voice filled the courtroom. So the second judge clearly has some common sense. W. Judge. Hello there, bitch. You probably think you're going to be raped, and you're fucking sure right about that. I remember hearing his voice, and it sends shivers down my spine. You're not going to remember a fucking thing about this little adventure. It was like you could cut through the air with a knife. As far as I'm concerned, you're a pretty piece of meat. Be smart and be a survivor. Have a nice day. The audio tape was a crucial piece of evidence, but everything rested on Kelly's testimony. For Parker Ray to be found guilty, Kelly would have to take the stand once again and convince the entire jury that she had been kidnapped and tortured. I was vulnerable. I was scared. But I was angry that he got away with the first one. Was he going to get away with the second one? The police believe that David Parker Ray was a serial killer, but as no bodies had been found, he couldn't be charged with murder. Instead, he had been tried for the kidnap, rape, and torture of Kelly Van Cleve. But at the first trial, the jury had been unable to agree unanimously that he was guilty. At the retrial, once again, everything rested on Kelly, 
Unless her testimony was believed by the entire jury, the charges against Parker Ray could be dropped. It's very difficult to tell people you don't know intimate things, sexual things about your life. We tested her credibility in the five. That sucks that she has to go through trial twice, man. Imagine like reliving that horror two times in front of everybody. Hour of cross-examination and trial twice. Her life must have been hell. I think it was harder the second time than it was the first time. Because I had already been there. I already had to tell my, my story to thousands of people I didn't know. And that first jury didn't believe me. On April the 16th, 2001, after a week-long trial, the jury retired to consider what they'd heard. It took them just five hours to reach a unanimous verdict. I was... Bam. Got him. Gotcha, bitch! Sweating. Finally. <laughs> I didn't know what they were going to say. I had no idea. We got guilty. And he got 224 years in prison. A.W. Down the Marco, Marco. Then we partied. <laughs> she probably ain't remember that night either. <laughs> the night she was with him and then the night after he got convicted. Two blackout nights. <laughs> Do you believe Kelly's version of events was true? Oh, this is going to be hilarious. This is the defense attorney that defended uh, David Parker. Let's see what he says. Oh, so the question is whether I believe that she was abducted by the Ray family and held captive and... Uh, and raped and tortured. Yeah, I believe it. <laughs> oh. God. Can't make this shit up, people. <laughs> but you're his defense attorney. You seem to be saying that your client is guilty. I do seem to be saying that, don't I? But here's the important distinction, guys. It's not his job to know if the client is guilty and convey that his job is to convince you that he's not guilty and convey that that's what a defense attorney does <laughs> oh man just hilarious to hear from him though obviously at this point you know they, the case was done more than likely david Ray parker was i think dead by this point because he as you guys know he died in the early 2000s but uh it just goes to show you know how convincing the evidence actually was i mean the dude self-admitted on a freaking cassette tape on some jigsaw type crap. In a deal with the prosecution, David Parker Ray gave up his right to appeal. In return, his daughter Jessie was released without trial for her role in Kelly's abduction. That's the only noble thing he did was protect his daughter that he had put into this life in the first place. I knew that not everybody I would ever defend would be innocent. I knew that some of the people that I represented would be truly bad people. And, and this is kind of like the, the morale issue that defense attorneys kind of tackle every day. Nine out of 10 times, dude, 
you know your client's guilty. Like, you just know it. You know, if you had to bet your life, you would absolutely bet that they were guilty. But that's not their job. Their job is to be impartial and deflect and create a little bit of reasonable doubt. And, it, you know, it, their job is to convince you that, hey, it might have been someone else. My client might be the prime suspect, according to the police. But, hey, dude, this guy looks kind of good, too. And that's the defense's job. And I believe that on the spectrum of people who do not belong in society, uh, David Parker Ray is right in there. <laughs> oh, not only did he think he was guilty, but he doesn't even think he belongs in society, bro. Well, I'll give him credit where it's due. He still defended him to the best of his ability and got a mistrial the first time. So clearly he was able to do his job to some degree. Says David Ray Park David Parker Ray died of heart failure soon after the trial. Well, that's what you get, man. <laughs> so he had only survived eight months of his sentence. Was justice done? You know, I don't think justice can ever be done in these types of cases. Yeah, he died because he before he could fully cooperate, which just sucks because we'll never know how many bodies he actually had. What David did to these women, no amount of punishment to him can take away what those women have to live with. David took too much of me away. I feel like I'm a totally different person. I don't go anywhere. I don't trust anybody. I miss the old me. So the last known number we knew, according to the FBI guys, was 40 victims from several states. However, no bodies were found. So this is the only serial killer, guys, ever that has no bodies actually attributed to them through conviction. which is what makes him so unique and his methodologies. The one that used to be wild and crazy and sassy and wasn't scared. I would do just about anything to get the old me back. I wish he wouldn't have died. <laughs> I want him alive. I agree. It's better for them to live long. I don't even, I think the death penalty is kind of an easy way out. I would ask him why. Why me? Why did he take me home? Why didn't he kill me? That's his daughter's fault, man. I wish he was still alive so he could tell us. What happened to all those other girls? Where he buried them? How he killed them? So those other families could have some closure. All right, so the estimate is he killed more than 30 women.
nobody's ever found. So you guys might be wondering, where is uh, David Parker Ray's daughter now? And according to Google, it says, Hendy now lives in Hamilton after serving eight years in New Mexico for her involvement. Hamilton community members expressed frustration and worry on social media about having Hendy live close to a local school. So, uh, yeah, that's where she's at now. And you guys can see here, as of, you know, December 11, 2022, she's out of prison at this point. And, you know, her dad um, kind of locked that in. I guess that's the last honorable thing he could do before he passes away. But, uh, yeah, guys, that is the Toy Box Killer. Hope you guys enjoyed that one. That one was very well, um, very much requested. And I got to put this guy up there in the top two or three as far as like most sadistic individuals, um, because the extent that he went to carry out this sexual fantasy by far blows every other serial killer out the water when it comes to like meticulousness, planning, methodologies, investing their own money. Like this dude is like the freaking <laughs> Bill Gates and Robert Kiyosaki when it comes to serial murders. Murders like this dude invested heavily in. And clearly it paid off, you know, if it wasn't for that girl that escaped, this probably would have never come to light. So he, he invested in himself and he, his girl actually was the one that made the fuck up. It wasn't him. It was the girl guys. And this is how Cynthia, Cynthia actually escaped. I, I wish this um, documentary went into a little bit more detail, but she ended up stabbing his wife or his girl, uh, aka Cindy, with like an ice pick and running away. So yeah, that small lapse in judgment, just like she had that small lapse when uh, Parker Ray's girl said Cindy, she she was able to capitalize and, and get out of there and shine a lot on this dude. But yeah, man, definitely one of the most methodical. So hope you guys enjoyed that video, man. Um, I'm going to catch you guys on the next episode of Fed. As you guys can see, the sun is out now working, you know, the past <laughs> few hours getting shit done. So uh, hold on. Don't forget to subscribe to the channel, guys. Like the video on your way out, of course. And... Check me out on Fedit on TikTok, Fedit1811 on TikTok, uh, Fedit1811 on Instagram. Uh, if you guys got any cases you want to submit, send your request there. Christina will take care of you. And uh, yeah, I'm going to go get some sleep, guys. Peace. Take it easy. I was a special agent with Homeland Security Investigations, okay, guys? HSI. The cases that I did mostly were human smuggling and drug trafficking. No one else.